welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we're talking about D&D's open gaming license. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. And I'm Chris. And if you've been on Twitter or YouTube in the last couple of weeks, you may have heard something about Wizards of the Coast destroying D&D with their latest corporate power moves. Seriously, I've seen videos claiming that D&D will never recover, Pathfinder will rule again, there's even rumblings about making an open RPG system that anyone can use so that the corporate overlords can't control it. So uh, what's happening with D&D? We'll break it down for you. And if you don't care about D&D, this will still be fun because it's really all about the drama. Uh, but first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, and the Gift of Games and Grace Lake. Huge thank you to all our other patrons as well. Fletcher, how are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great. Last week, I couldn't make it. Turns out I got COVID, and that was not very fun. <laughs> but I'm over it. I'm 100% now, so I'm good to go. Ready to talk about D&D, and I was kind of following a little bit of this while I was sick, but I was... Um, you know, in my fugue state, I couldn't really follow what was going on and why everybody was mad at on Reddit. So I'm glad we're talking about this. I'm glad you sent me those <laughs> yeah. articles to read. Yeah, and we'll get into it. I'm probably going to come off as a bit of a defender of Wizards of the Coast, but we'll break it down and and kind of explain what happened, what's happening, what isn't happening. And yeah, there's just a lot of fun drama. Um, let's see. If you want to join us live... As of right now, you can join us on Mondays at 8.30 Central Time, tabletopgametalk.com slash live. Uh, we may be changing where that goes. Yes, Christopher, I am a corporate shell. Um, <laughs> we may be changing where the live audience gets taken to. Um, I Which just say that coast, because... Please give us money. We're not above you know, begging <laughs> yes. for money. <laughs> give, us, give us all the money because uh, we'll say good things regardless. And, yeah. and you can give us... Because we don't have any. We'll, yeah, we'll even give you 30% of everything we make, uh, which is zero. Um, you can join our Discord, which is likely where the new live audience is going. Join our BGA groups so you can play games and be part of TGTCon 2. Uh, speaking of TGTCon and BGA and all of that, uh, Look at the Stars Tournament has concluded, and we have a winner. Our winner is DA Comfort, a.k.a. Don. Um Took away first place, Dittography second, Just Joe third, and Bridge four, me, and Last Cocoa Bean tied for fourth place in the finals. Um, I have also drawn in the following four BGA names um, are eligible for BGA premium codes. Just ping me on Discord and I will shoot you your code. And the winner in our finalist pool was Competitive Friend. Winner in group one. I don't think I can say this name, but I'm going to say Harfunkel. Does that seem right, Fletcher? Harfunkel. 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 You know who you are. Um, Jerry Bear in group two. And Aces, a.k.a. Steven, is in group three. So all of you have promo codes um, for a year of BGA Premium. You can give the code away. You can use it to add on to your current. You can do whatever you would like with it. Uh, but it is yours. Chris, what did I place in Look at the Stars? Because I couldn't find my standing. You were not great, um, but that is a great question, and I will tell you exactly where you placed. Because I, I want to know whether or not by just Joe. <laughs> I want to know if you beat um, Kitty or not. And uh, let's see. I don't think I played against were... Kitty. No, no, no. But her ranking versus yours. Oh, her, yeah. Um, yeah. So Kitty finished just 
uh, just below the final. So she was like sixth place. Um, and then 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. They stopped putting numbers here. 1, 22. Oh, wait, I passed you. Um, <laughs> you were 16th place. So out about of. Up out of, oh, how many did we have? Um, out of more than 16. Maybe 17? <laughs> no, I think we had like um, a little over 30. All right, about halfway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we we're around 30. Well, I think I came in second place in my little group, but I guess it wasn't enough to the, continue on. In each group, no, the top three players of each group, I think, moved on. Really? I don't remember how it was because I sort of messed it up. Be I I cut the playtime into a third of what I was wanted it to be. So it just played very, very, very quickly. The next tournament will it'll be slower and you'll have plenty of time to take your turns and there'll be no rush. And yeah, I'll announce that within the next week or two. But apologies for how quickly that one played. And also I learned that I did like Look at the stars, and after playing it, you know, a dozen or two times, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm moving on to other games. Um, it it has tons of potential. I'm looking. If there was expansions and stuff, I would definitely play more of it. Uh, but after you've seen all the different bonus scoring and you see all the scores, they they're just really close scores. So I went back to Railroad Inc. I'm taking a break from Welcome Two. I think just for a little while. Uh, speaking of other BGA stuff, though. Yeah, going back to games where you continue to win and dominate. Totally understand. I, hey, I was in the top on in Look at the Stars. It was it was a two point difference, I think, between first and second, getting me in the final. That's okay. I I get stressed out when I'm in the finals. It's a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, Tabletop Game Talk Con two, February seventeenth. That's a Friday, starting at six p.m. Um, and going until midnight Saturday. So it was, it was just 30 hours of straight through at seven central time. I believe that's when I have it set. Um, I will be doing a um, seminar on great Western trail, best game on BGA and how to play and do well. Maybe not how to win. I'm not going to say I can tell you how to win, but I can tell you how to play and do well. Uh, so if you are someone who wants to check it out, but it just looks too complicated, I will break it down and make it easy to play. And then you can just keep playing and get better and better and better. I think um, Steve is playing Sydney right now. They're just finishing up a game and we don't know who's going to win, but I keep asking. It's like, you can't lose to my listeners. You have to beat them. That's the <laughs> obligation. So it's like, so she's all stressed now. Um, oh, but motivation for TGTCon. If you sign up before the 31st, so badge and sign up for at least one game before January 31st, which is, I don't know, about two weeks from now-ish, um, yeah. you will be entered into an early bird door prize drawing of a $100 gift card to someplace online, Amazon or some online game thing. So if you've been waiting to sign up and you're not sure, and uh, do it now. Do it before the 31st so you can be entered into that. And I will draw that on the first podcast after the 31st. Um, then... Everyone who hosts a game. So if you're going to host a game, um, you will also be entered in a $100 drawing, which you'll be drawn at the convention close. So 
start games. Um, you you can host as little as one or as many as you want. Uh, but I just want to encourage people to host games. So that's my motivation there. And then for players, anyone who plays in at least two games um, during the weekend, week, Friday, day, 30 hours, whatever, um, will be entered in the other uh, $100 drawing. So, and if you host a game and also play in a game, you'll be entered in both of those. Just to sweeten the deal there. So that is hundreds of dollars I will be giving away just for you to play games. I don't think that's a bad deal. Does that Not motivate you to deal. sign up, Fletcher? I've already signed up. What do you mean? Oh, all right. You are not eligible. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm number. Uh, so my number is three, but I signed up second because I beat Kitty. <laughs> she had to go find her credit card for her two dollars. Right. Um. So yeah. So that is where we're at with TGTCon. Everything's looking good. Uh, I get reports from. Every once in a while from the uh, tabletop events. So the link for TGTCon is in the show notes. It goes to tabletop events. And if you have a tabletop events account, which if you've attended any convention in the past probably five years, you do, um, then it's the same account. If you don't, just make one. It's super simple. Um, the admit the fee for registration is $2. Uh, the fee for games is nothing. And it's just so that tabletop events gets some kind of money. Um, I would make it free if I could, but I can't. So it's $2. All right. Fletcher, besides COVID, what have you been up to? Besides COVID? Did we talk about Kitty not being here? Kitty's just not here. She'll be back next week, probably. Yeah. That's why she's been very quiet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's lurking. Um, yeah, no, Kitty's not here this week. Uh, what did I do besides have COVID and deal with that? Um, I don't know. I laid in bed for like five days straight. That's pretty much what I did last week and why I wasn't, yeah, I, and why I wasn't there. It feels like another wave is going through. My, my mother just told me on yesterday she's like yeah i've had covid for the last like week and i'm like why haven't you uh, this first i've heard of it but okay fine um and then she sent me like a test this morning she's like look it's negative now i'm like great (laughs) (laughs) perfect uh yeah last time it didn't really hit me very hard at all i had like the sniffles the very first time i got it but like this time it was like a it was like the flu um and it was not fun yeah and and that's really what covid is now is like you know treat it like the flu treat it like a cold um Watch yourself. Get looked at if you can't breathe. That's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I could breathe. Um, I just was achy and I had a headache and I had, you know, the chills. It was, it was like a flu. John asks if you have to show up for the game that you signed up with to win the early bird. Um, if you win the early bird but don't show up for the con, then I will be sending you a uh, request for my money back. So I know who you are. There's not enough of you <laughs> where I don't know each one of you personally. Yeah, you know who you are. You'll be blacklisted. <laughs> You'll be done. You're done. Um, yes. Show up for your game, John. Just join. Uh, there'll be a few. Maybe I'll make a few turn-based ones that'll be like, you know, have to be done in the weekend, but you won't have to play real time. And then that'll allow people who can't be there for like sit down for a real time game. They can still participate a little bit um, by playing at the same time as everyone else, but just taking a turn at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm excited about this week. So this, this weekend, I honestly don't remember what happened. It was all. <laughs> you were talking about how, even though you had the day off, you ended up oh, doing a bunch of chores, a bunch of errands. Yes. I did have Monday off 
And so I took, uh, yeah, I took a bunch of errands. Um, I ended up having to change a tire. I think I talked about that last week where I changed my tire. And then I, had, I finally brought it in to get it fixed, which was only 30 bucks. It cost me $35 to get this tire fixed. I, I expected them to charge me like $150 for a new tire. Yeah. I mean, there was like a bolt wedged into the tire. And, and it only like, cost $35? Yeah. I mean, what I could do taken just take it wrench. off, put some gum on it and put it back on and be like, uh, as far as I can bucks. tell, <laughs> yeah, as far as I can tell, I'm like, I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, if we could fix it, we fix it. I'm like, but how do you fix that? I mean, I guess you open up the, like the fire t- patch from the inside. Um, and yeah, they plugged it up. So I'm like, cool. But I was still took about three hours. Um, I actually dropped the tire off and they fixed it. And so I ran some other errands and came back. That's um, good. Otherwise, it would have been like a several hundred dollars to get like two matching tires. To it would have been insane. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that was my day. Uh, and my niece came up over the weekend. That's why I couldn't remember because we just hung out and watched Avatar. Um, the original the one. one. The, well, we watched the original one because they hadn't seen the new one yet. And I'm like, oh, the new one's good. And they're like, yeah, I, I think I watched part of the original is one it, once. I'm like, is okay. Is it good? I really liked it. Um I mean, I'm not like an Avatar. I want to get. I, I have not bought any Avatar Lego sets. If that helps you, I like the movie, but not enough to buy the Lego sets. Okay. And watching the original movie again, I'm like, oh, I really like that too. And apparently, it's made like one point something billion worldwide in the last four weeks. So, and they have the next four already written. Really? There's a, two, there's the next m- more. The next Man. four are written. The next two are already filmed. So. It's going to become an actual franchise, and yeah, the franchise it's, it's that good. nobody wanted or needed. They just I don't know, play. I don't know. Like it's there's a that lot of people. Movie who was not like good. It. I mean, it was what? very pretty. The first movie was pretty. It didn't. It had a, a very ho hum story. It was dances with wolves in outer space. It's like dances with cats, <laughs> um, and like the bad guys are just you know like mustache twirling bad guys for no reason and you know they're they're after the MacGuffin that's called the unobtainium i mean come on i all right it number just, one just, i love the name it felt unobtainium. like someone slapping me in the face when i was watching the movie like you are an idiot i love the name unobtainium no um, it's so bad number two this movie it's condescending to the audience no you're stupid, so we have to spell it out. This is literally called Unobtainium. <laughs> this movie made $2.9 billion. I think doesn't that mean that it was a good like movie. It. I disagree. And and this is actually is a great... Uh, uh, this could be a subject by itself. I think that something can be... like It's that whole critically acclaimed versus audience acclaimed. I don't care what critics think. If, you, if it's a movie I enjoy and I like watching, it's a good movie. By definition, if I enjoy it, it's a good movie. Because otherwise, what am I d- defining it on? It's like, there's a lot of movies that you would say are good that I would watch and be like, that movie was just terrible. Terrible. And like The Godfather, for example. Lots of people love that movie. I'm sure it's a good movie to those people. I hate that movie. And it's, <laughs> I don't know. Like I say, it's, Not enough blue cats. Just, it's a preference thing, but if two point nine billion dollars, say number of that many people are willing to throw their money at something, it has to be good. By definition, it has to be good. What otherwise? What else do you define good by? Not by dollars. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, I watched Marvel. 
uh, Marvel, much Avatar, and then I started painting my Marvel United figures. Which, when I say that, I I really I shouldn't use a plural. I'm about one mostly done, two more seventy percent done, and two hundred and fifty to go. But I will be done before the Marvel United multiverse delivers. If you if you don't know anything about Marvel United, Google it. Um, <laughs> but if you do, the next Marvel United Kickstarter is starts Wednesday for the multiverse version of it, and I'm super psyched for it because it's a great game in my top ten, possibly in my top five, right up there with Great Western Trail, which I don't think two games could be more different. It just shows. <laughs> what about Marvel Snap? That, I, uh, that that game's it's up there too. <sighs> That game is. I, I want to. I literally. I just opened up the app, and I'm. I'm thinking of playing a game right now. Ooh, they just released a new bundle. There's a double dinosaur bundle, and it's a gold bundle. Ooh, and you get a lot of credits too. Hmm. No, not going to do that. Not going to do it. Um. But I do have to claim my free fifty credits. There we go. Yeah, my current level in Marvel Snap is twenty one fifty eight for my collection level. <sighs> All right, not going to play any Marvel Snap. Um. Not right now. Are you still playing? Are you playing anymore? I'm not. I stopped weeks ago. Yeah. That's all right. Not everyone can be as obsessed. Just, yeah. This is I'm, true. I'm, I'm, it's so good. It's just so good. <laughs> it's so good. Like, I'll finish a game. And when you finish a game, you click on the, the button that's like, get your rewards. And it, win or lose, you're always going to get something. And then when you, so you click that and then the little card pops up and you see what you got and you press next. And then the play button is in the same place as the next button. And I just double tap in that same area because it's next to get off the game. I just finished and then tap again in the same area to play the next game. And I don't even realize I'm starting a new game. I'll play like 20 (laughs) games and I'm like, Oh, um, I actually just came up to get something to drink. And then I got sidetracked by 20 games of Marvel snap. So, so you that's thought you were doing game. errands, but you were really playing Marvel snap. I really looked for, I was looking forward to sitting at the tire place and playing in the, in the waiting room. But then he's like, it's going to be <laughs> a while. So you could just, yeah, well, he's like, you could just leave the tire here. I'm like, okay, fine. And then I started doing other errands and I didn't get as many games in as I wanted to. I had a couple in. All right. Fletcher, what do you know about Dungeons and Dragons? What do I know about Dungeons and Dragons? What a broad question. <laughs> well, there are Dungeons and Dragons. So, there are. It does not it does not lie. It is it is not it does not lie. It's a game that's been around for quite some time. Um bought by Wizards of the Coast in the early mid mid 90s, mid 90s. Um where they released a third edition of the game. Before that, it was owned by TSR. One of the things that third edition did was create an open gaming license known as the OGL. And the open gaming license allowed people to use the Dungeons and Dragons system in their own games. This led to kind of a a resurgence. Like third edition was very, very popular. Yep. And there were a ton of other role-playing games that were created around it. Um, Oftentimes you would see it referred to as like the D20 system, Uh, but that was the third edition open gaming license. Eventually third edition went away uh, and fourth edition came out and fourth edition did not have an open gaming license. They had a game system license, but it was highly restrictive. Um, You really couldn't do anything with it. And for fourth edition D and D you saw almost 
no third-party support. I, I can't think of a single product that has third-party support for fourth edition. Um, I didn't even play fourth edition at all. Yeah, I loved fourth edition, but it it fell flat with the community in general. Like fourth edition is what brought me into D and D, but because there was no nobody else could make any content for it except for Wizards of the Coast, it was very much a closed ecosystem, and a lot of that was likely due to the fact that 4th edition was written to be run on a virtual tabletop. It was written to always be on a map. So 4th edition was map. And if you read the rules and play the game, you're like, wait a minute, this is just a video game. Why it's, you know, everything is, like, everything's described in slides and moves. And, like, it's very technical in how combat works. And almost no story to it at all in, in the rule system itself. Um, fourth edition lived, oh, a few years. I want to say six or seven. And then fifth edition was announced, and it came out with an open gaming license as well. And since then, fifth edition has blown up, taken off. Everybody knows about fifth edition D&D. Uh, fun fact, not a single book published by Wizards of the Coast mentions Dungeons & Dragons as a fifth edition. It's just Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so that's kind of an important thing to note. If you see any book that says, you know, 5e compatible or something like that, everyone knows you're referring to Dungeons and Dragons. But even those books that use the open gaming license never mention Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's just, you know, 5e compatible or some other, you know, five something mark. Um because the open gaming license does not allow you to use the Dungeons and Dragons name or D&D or Player's Handbook or Dungeon Masters or Monster Manual or D20 System or Wizards of the Coast. Or you can't use any, there's a, actually a laundry list of trademarked um, names that you cannot use if you're using the open gaming license. Um, and even if you aren't using the open gaming license, you still shouldn't use those because if you use those trademarks, uh, Wizards of the Coast, i.e. Hasbro, we'll will come you. after you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is, that is our background. What do you know about the OGL 1.1 catastrophe fiasco? So I know that Drama. it was, yeah. So before this, it was the OGL 1.0. So that was, that's, you know, what people are currently under um, right now. The creators are currently under. I know that 1.1 was leaked to the press. I don't know how or why or through who, but Apparently, it's severely restricted. While 1.0 was like very open and very generous with the terms and how you could use the gaming license, um, 1.1 was way more restrictive. It was way longer to read in the article that you sent me. Apparently, 1.0 was about 900 words long, and 1.1 was 9,000 words long. Um, and to cap it all off, they basically said, one, you know, 1.0 is no longer in effect. Once this is going to be released, you'll have seven days to convert everything over that you ever did in under 1.0. And uh, they had like a tiered creator structure. So if you were making money from this, um, if you made over $750,000, you had to start paying, you know, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, uh, 25% or 20%, depending on various things but you had to start paying them oh and you had to register everything that you needed to do um before you didn't have to register but now um they're saying that you have to register all your stuff with wizards of the coast beforehand that is mostly accurate 
Yes. There are a few things that were shady. And and we're going to talk past tense because Wizards has, you know, spoiler alert, jump to the end. Um, they have backtracked from that original leaked draft. They have yeah. come out with a statement saying, we're not going to do that. We're going to re- re- rewriting it. Don't worry. We're not going to do X, Y, Z. Um, so that, you know, that was good. Now, what Wizards of the Coast says is they sent this draft out to content creators and third-party publishers for review because they wanted to get feedback on it before they made it official. There's even controversy around that as whether or not this was a draft or this was going to go out, um, you know, because it had like an actual release date and and whatnot. So, but that's what they're claiming right now is like, hey, we, you know, the whole point of us sending this out was to get feedback and we've taken your feedback and, you know, we are hearing what you're saying. So, a few things have happened. Um, Christopher's calling BS already on Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> um, so a few things. The the OGL 1.1, one of the things that was the shadiest and would have had to really, I, I think this would have been legally challenged by some of the bigger publishers out there that um, is in the original open gaming license. Clause 4, grant and consideration. In consideration for agreeing to use this license, the con- the contributors grant you a perpetual, worldwide, royalty-free, non-exclusive license with the exact terms of this license to use, the open gaming content. Um, so that right there is saying, we are granting you this li- license in perpetuity, i.e. forever, to release another document that replaces this document and therefore replaces the in perpetuity clause. That is probably something that's not going to hold up. Right. If you were published under yeah. the OGL one, you're if you wanted to fight Hasbro, you probably could and be like, hey, wait, this we're publishing under a license that literally says in the license that this license is in perpetuity. So that is the number one thing that I think in my mind that the one point one was trying to do that crossed a line. The other stuff, shady. That crossed the line. That's like saying Okay, never mind. You guys are making too much money off of our products, so we're just gonna, you know, invalidate this thing that we said. Products that you've already released, right? Under under this, yeah, under this other license. Like, oh, we know that you did this, but we have this new agreement now that you have to accept, and you have to give us money. (laughs) Like, so that's that's great. Yeah, so I'm not going to defend that in any way, shape, or form. Um, and again, I don't think that would have stood up. I don't think they they would have been able to get past that. Um, the other piece, so there's two other parts of the 1.1 that a lot of people um, really did not like. Um, one of them was any content that oh, yeah. you created under the 1.1 license. Under 1.0, the clause I just read... Um, Let's see, read this again. Non-exclusive license with the exact term. So basically, royalty-free, non-exclusive. In other words, it's not, it's your content. You're not giving away your creation. In the 1.1, it's anything you create with this license agreement, we can choose to incorporate into our products. In other words, we can just take anything that you make. Their rationale for this after the fact was, well, this clause was in there so that if coincidentally we happen to use something that other someone else came up out came up with, uh, yes, Christopher mentions without royalties, so they can just take it; they don't have to yeah, ask it's you. It's theirs. For it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but their rash- their 
the reasoning for this was if we create something that's similar to a product that you created, we don't want to be on the hook for saying we stole your stuff, which is a valid concern from a corporate standpoint. Now, the way the incorporated the license, that is not that's not good. But the the corporation is that's valid, right? It's like we're giving you permission to use the system, but what we don't give you permission to do is make something that that we can never then use. So if they if you decide to create a um, I'm trying to think of a dragon something that isn't already created, um, an iPhone dragon. There you go. And then Wizard of the Coast decides, hey, we've had this iPhone dragon in the works for quite some time now, but now you've published this. So if we publish our iPhone dragon, you're going to say we stole it from you. We want to have this in the, cl- the licensing clause that we can do this without you know you challenging that we stole your content. That was the intent behind it. In practice, and when you read it out, it reads a little bit more nefarious than that concept. But you can understand why a company would need to protect itself from that, right? I, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. But I, I guess I want to know is how many times were they sued before under this 1.0 um, um, license? Never. Under like those exact, you know, that circumstances. Like, does that come up a lot? Are there, you know, fans, creators like suing them? Like, I came up with this and now you came out with something similar. I don't know... I, like I would love to be on the fly wall some of these meetings where because there's a lot of content out there, right? When you look at, um, you know, there's uh, all the names are escaping me, but um, Green Ronin or um, uh, Cobalt Press, they have entire worlds and monster manuals and like just huge amounts of content that is not is third party content completely compatible. But if you were to say look at the you know the Cobalt Press beastery, um, there's like. 250 monsters in there. And if the next monster manual that Wizard of the Coast puts out happens to, you know, name certain kobolds by the same way or certain monsters with the same names, because a lot of these monsters just pulled over, pulled from history and myth and lore anyway. Right. You could see how Cobalt Press might be like, hey, wait a minute, your monster manual is like really similar to half a dozen of our monsters. And they may want to like press the fact. It's like, wait a minute, are you taking our stuff without giving us any credit for that? So when you're making, when you're a first party, you know, you're Wizard of the Coast and you're making a new monster manual, you don't want to have to go out and consider everything that every creator, third party publisher has ever made to say, okay, are we going to run into a problem with this monster because it's in this book here and that book there, right? So Typically, it doesn't matter um, if the as long as you're not using their art, um, as long as the name is not trademarked. So they, if if I created a brand new dragon, the iPhone dragon, which I wouldn't be, I'd be breaking multiple trademarks in that one because, <laughs> but um, the Chris Steel we'll dragon, it, yeah, 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 yeah. There we go, the Chris Steel dragon. Um, if they created another monster that was Chris Steel dragon, that potentially could be stepping on my trademark rights. If I say, hey, I'm using this unique name for my monster, and now you are using that same name. In the same way that no third-party content can use beholders in any of their adventures or any of their monster manuals, you can't use the word beholder because that is a trademark. It's in the open gaming license saying, this is one of the monsters you are not allowed to use. Um, There's actually about 30 of them, but beholder is the most um, popular one. And that's why when you see something that's like obviously like a D&D um, knockoff movie or cartoon or something, you'll almost never see beholders in there. And if you do, it won't be called a beholder. 
in any way, shape, or form, because that's not the floating eye used. monster. <laughs> the floating eye monster, right? Exactly. So that's what that clause was for, and I understand it. And they have stated, like, look, there will be a clause like this in OGL 1.1, but we will also explicitly state that your content, your creations, are yours. And we can't just take them. So they're now the the new version, which we have not seen yet. Um, this will supposedly protect the company, but also protect the third-party publisher. So that was the I'm going to steal your stuff clause. And then the other one um, is the money clause. And this comes in two parts. The first part was if you make any money off of the OGL, you must report it. That affected everybody who created anything that they sold, whether it be a Kickstarter or not necessarily Patreon. They're like, it doesn't count if it's something that people can donate for. So if you're just making content and giving it away for free, that's fine. You can do that. You don't need to report that. You're not making money. Um, if you well, are you could be making money, be- but it's not. It had to be like a business kind of a thing. Basically, right. if it you had a be- Patreon tip jar that all your content is for free, but people could tip you, you didn't have to report that. Right. So, and that's the vast majority of, you know, the independent um, creations would fall under that. It's like, I have a Patreon of, and I'm doing this, that, or whatever, you know. So now if it was purely behind a Patreon paywall, that would probably start falling into something you would need to report. Um, But you could kind of manage it where you could be like, okay, you get the content for, you know, the first 30 days it's released, but after that, it's then it's behind a paywall. So maybe you, you know, however you wanted to finagle that, you could do it. But that's not the big one. Just reporting in general is, I'm using your license. So now if I make any money, I have to tell you about it. It's super big brothery. Like that's not cool. It is. And, and, if, and, and a large overhead for lots of creators out there. Yeah. Um, but if you made more than 750000 which is approximately six third-party publishers, um, and many Kickstarters that have done crazy, crazy good. Because honestly, you throw out a D&D book these days or just like a role-playing book these days, you're in the million-dollar mark for Kickstarters automatically. Like, it's it's crazy how much role-playing games um, make on Kickstarter. And I'm pretty sure that that stemmed the reason why this number exists, this 750,000 number. Um, if you make... More than seven hundred fifty thousand, then you have to start paying royalties on anything over seven hundred fifty thousand. So the first seven fifty is always royalty free. After that, you're paying twenty to twenty five percent, depending. Um, it was not clear if that was gross or profit. I'd have to assume profit because. Oh really? The, I'd assume gross. Well, you can't do that on the gross though, because that can actually take you to negative numbers. Yeah, like I think that's the idea. Well, I mean, maybe they they want don't want you to make more than seven hundred and fifty, so they immediately start charging you more than it costs to make the book. Because honestly, the well, margins I mean, on most of these things. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if if you launch a Kickstarter, right, and it gets you know, let's say it's like a a million dollars, right, but it actually costs you one point one million to like fulfill everything. And now you have to pay 20% on top of that. I don't think it's, I think it's gross. I don't think it's profit. Yeah. Well, it was unclear because the the license agreement said qualifying revenue, but it was not clear what qualifying meant. So in my mind, qualifying revenue is profit because 
non like it just makes no sense. No license agreement anywhere will charge you based on the like gross. It just it just doesn't make sense. Like you would never sign that license agreement. You'd never be able to use it. Um, now Christopher, now Christopher is I will I will say I'm going to call you out Christopher. He is very much anti Wizards of the Coast, but I like his viewpoints. Um, and he mentions like the point of this particular clause was to put you out of business. If you were making over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, we charge your royalties into the ground until your company doesn't exist anymore. Because their response to this particular clause was essentially along the lines of the OGL was created to allow third-party creators, fans, to create content for our game. It was not created to help our competitors create content for our game. So where does that, but where does that line get crossed, right? Is Green Ronin, who puts out tons of D&D compatible books, they are well over this threshold. Are they a competitor? Possibly, sure. But then, but they got there because of the OGL. So you created them as a competitor. So now you want to punish people for doing good product. And this, that's, it just feels wrong in how they went about this. Here you go. Here's an open gaming license. You can use it. I think what's fifth edition has been out for what, seven years, eight years now? Uh, Use it till your heart's content. Grow businesses, grow livelihoods around it. And then we're going to give you a two-week notice that, oh, everything you've done, we're just going to, you know, royalty you into the ground. That's not nice, I don't think. (laughs) Not nice. (laughs) It's not nice. Now, this is all of this. And I'm I'm reading a tweet here. Um, Oh, who's this from? Uh, The Griffin Saddlebag. Um, And he summarizes this. And again... A lot of this stuff, especially when you're looking at this from the non-business side of it, is over over the top. But I'm just going to read the concerns that um, he had here. The oh, actually, this I think this is a response to the response too. But uh, Kickstarter is infeasible. For reference, if Wizards had to pay this much for their revenue, they'd be bankrupt too. Oh, so basically, what this is saying is this is what the OGL was going to do if it's if it stands as it is. Any Kickstarter, you essentially wouldn't be able to run a Kickstarter because as soon as you hit over 750, it starts to mess with how much your costs are. And I will say, once the book is created and you're just paying for the price of making the book, you are pretty much all profits over 750, but you still got to ship those out and get them into people's hands. And it's not, you know, it's not free. Um, it would disallow most virtual tabletop content. Uh, which is how a lot of people play the game. Um, this person says it's not an open license by definition. Who knows what an open license is by definition? I mean, it legal allows you to use any of the work. You just have to pay back to it. I, I think I still think it's an open license, regardless of whether or not these went into places or not. Um, forces creators into a one-sided contract. All contracts are essentially one-sided. Uh, I just I. Yes, I agree with this, but I also don't see that as a problem. Um, Claims that large companies are the reason for these changes. Despite the fact that no company has taken money or even threatened to remotely overshadow them, using the D&D Open 5e content, not their protected IP. Even Pathfinder, who is now far removed from the original material, is uh, minusculely compared to the massive scale of Wizards of the Coast. Essentially, what they're saying here is Wizards of the Coast makes so much money that 
any of their competitors are like, you know, a fraction of a percent of their revenue. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it does affect, they are targeting large companies. They are targeting their competitors, but I think unreasonably so. Um, So I kind of agree, disagree on that. Um, Turns issues of openness into opportunity for wizards to divide and conquer. Um, Essentially, they're saying here that this company makes $1.3 billion a year and it's vilifying companies that make 750,000 or more. Um, So that's, he's like, you know, you're being a greedy corporate overlord. Um, And then he also mentions that, you know, lies about 1.1 being a draft. Drafts don't come with contracts attached. I don't think this was necessarily a lie. I think this was a final draft. I think this was in legalese. It was. It went through their lawyers. It went through all internal reviews. And now they were sharing it out. Um, I don't think... I mean, if it was not a draft, it would be actually active right now. So whatever they released, or well, whatever was leaked, was never actually released. So it had to be in some way a draft, um, even right. if in retrospect. And then... Unfairly punishes and cripples countless small businesses that have been following the true open and community-friendly 1.0 rules and open kind of without violation or misuse of Wizard IP for 23 years. Um, and that 23 years is going back to the 3.0 open gaming license. So part of the stuff I agree with, but here's, here's my problem. If Wizards of the Coast released 5th edition... And, and this is this is one thing that I think could go either way. If Wizard of the Coast had released 5th edition without an open gaming license, and instead the same license that 4th edition was under, which was you can sort of reference some things, but for the most part, just don't even mention us and don't do anything. Like, again, the, the open system license was not a license to create content that you could sell. And then they released this version. I think this would have been received as oh, wow, they're opening up the system so anybody can do anything they want. And if you look at it that way, like OGL 1.0 didn't exist and then this just popped on the scene, you'd be like, this is amazing. Like publishers don't do this. The open gaming license is not something they had to do. But if... (laughs) But 1.0 does exist. (laughs) But 1.0 does exist. So, and once that did exist, to go back and retroactively change it, that crossed a lot of lines and that's really what the community is an uproar about they you set up one expectations and now you're going back and changing it on top of that you add the one D stuff and the first party virtual content virtual tabletop content they're talking about and buying um D beyond so now you know D is a subscription service which i'm truly looking forward to um all of those things, and then everyone's starting to look at their game. It's like, wait a minute, we've had free reign for this game for you know a decade now, and now you're telling us we don't have that anymore. And this is why people were really upset, right? And I think that's, I mean, I think that's valid, right? Don't take away stuff that is already there. Um, which leads to the last thing they said: the next version of this of this draft um, would is going to not change any product that was created under 1.0 so that's anything that was created under the 1.0 license all of that stands this doesn't replace any product that was already created it's only for new products um which makes sense so yeah now christopher does bring up another question he's like if they truly wanted feedback it would not have been released it would have been released long before it was planned to be implemented not the month it was going to be released (sighs) 
Maybe. Yeah. I don't think that this 1.1 was written without a lot of people, a lot of people's feedback. And I think a lot of people who worked at Wizard, work at Wizard of the Coast did not want this 1.1. Like the people who work on Dungeons and Dragons, they were not interested in this. Um, they've been ultimately silent on it as they have to be. But so are some people like Critical Role. I think Critical Role knew about this. I think Critical Role already has a deal in place with Wizard of the Coast. And I don't think they cared. I think Green Ronin did. I think um, I think all of the big publishers already had agreements with Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, probably. And, you know, because why wouldn't they? They're giant. They need them to be part of their business. I think this is more targeted towards the Kickstarters more than anything else. It's the one-off publishers that are making, you know, Kickstarters and then exploding it. Um, because I think all these other companies already have some kind of deal in place with them. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the new version looks like. But now I ask you, Fletcher, as a huge fan of D&D, does this affect your enjoyment of <laughs> the you're game ask this. in any way? I mean, does this affect my enjoyment? And does this affect me? No, m- maybe not. So it, it, it's kind of hard to know. It's a little hard to know, like, um, under the current license agreement, how much my enjoyment has, you know, how much I've enjoyed because of this open community, right? I haven't purchased any third-party content for D&D. However, that doesn't mean that people that I played with haven't, and it also doesn't mean that the enthusiasm hasn't helped the community in general. Yeah, Michael brings up a good point. It would depend on whether or not you use a lot of third-party content. Um, I don't know many people who do use a lot of third-party content, at least not online, typically. Um, I'm sure people do. I own a lot of third-party content, but I never use it. I only use first-party stuff. I'll use ideas from the third-party stuff, but, you know, I'm basically, if it's not official Wizard of the Coast, I tend not to incorporate it into my game. Um, I think most people who play are probably in that similar boat. Like, yeah, I'll pick up some, and, and this was part of a survey that I filled out, I don't know, a year or two ago, which I'm sure had some effect on this, where it's like, yeah, I've bought third-party content. No, I typically don't use it, right? Um, If you're playing paper, pencil in person, it's easier to use third-party content. If you're playing digitally and you want to use D&D Beyond to create your characters, it's impossible to use third-party content there unless you put it all in as house rules. Um, And that's by design. Like, even before Wizards bought D&D Beyond, um, D&D Beyond was like an exclusive relationship with Wizards of the Coast. But if you're using that as your character builder then you're probably not using a lot of third-party content. And, like, Wizards knows this, but those books are still making a ton of money, and they still sell a ton of money. And their new CEO, um, who came from Microsoft and wants to monetize this game like a video game, (laughs) um, I think she's the one driving this. Uh, There was a stock call recently where... The, one of the things that they said on that call was D&D is not being monetized properly. So the idea to the stockholders was we are going to monetize D&D. And in trying to do this and putting this 1.1 out, they have caused a significant amount of backlash right now. Yeah. I don't think it'll last. I think it's going to all fade away. Um, I think the next 1.1 will come out and people are like, okay, yeah, all right, fine. Makes sense. And I think it goes away. And I think when the next version of D&D comes out, they sell more of it than ever before. They have more subscribers. 
to D&D Beyond than ever before. Actually, that's one of the things that um, I think really got their attention. Uh, Jenny D, she is a YouTuber, uh, cosplayer, um, like she talks about D&D all the time, uh, D&D advice, all this stuff. Uh, she's fantastic. And she's like, okay, it's time to speak with our wallets. Uh, we should just all go and cancel our D&D Beyond subscriptions. And the next day is when Wizards of the Coast released their, okay, all right, we're, we're going to take back. We're not going to do this. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know what the actual number was, but I can, I suspect it was not a small number of people that canceled. And that's, and that's great. And that's what people need to do. If you want, you know, if you want to make a statement, make a statement with your wallet They'll hear that loud and clear because they're not trying to lose money. They're not trying to destroy the system. That's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to make money. They're trying to bring in more players. They're trying to make, you know, reoccurring, you know, subscriptions are what everyone's doing these days. That's how you, you know, keep making money. They're trying to make money on this game. Um, So the one thing I am positive of is their intent is not to destroy Dungeons and Dragons. Their intent Mm -hmm. is to make the game stronger. You know, financially stronger, so it can keep going forever. Um, I think they messed up, but that—that <laughs> that is their intent. So, yeah. I mean, how do you think? Do you think this affects you at all? Either your enjoyment or how you would play. So here's and here's the thing, and this is why I know I'm coming co- of as a bit of defending it a little bit. I think this is good for the consumer. Um, not I. Right. I think Wizard of the Coast is doing some things that are good for the consumer. I don't think the OGL 1.1 has any effect on the consumer at all, like at all. If you just play D and D, you are not. You don't care about the OGL. If you're playing with third party content, you might care. If suddenly certain worlds stop existing because they're not allowed to keep producing that content, you might care. But in general, if you're using first party material and they change the OGL, it does not affect you at all. However, the people if you watch content, if you consume, you know, you're you're following D&D on Twitter or you watch YouTube creators or whatever, then it affects you because those creators are affected by it and they have a very passionate following and those followers are the ones that are, you know, canceling their D&D subscriptions and stuff like that. But for me personally, I want a D&D subscription where I can just pay a monthly fee and have access to all D&D content. I want a first party virtual tabletop. I like Foundry. We played Foundry for quite some time, but I have to jump through hoops to make any third party tabletop work. And something like Roll20 or Fantasy Realms or, or Fantasy, I think Fantasy Realms, whatever that one is, um, all of those, I can get the D&D content in them, like official licensed content, but then I have to buy it again. If I just have a first party VTT, where I've subscribed to D&D Beyond, and that automatically has a virtual tabletop and all my content that I own in it, this is good for me as a dungeon master. It is good for me and my players because it's all in one spot now and we can use it. It is bad for third-party creators, but I'm not, I don't worry about the third-party creators. If the first-party stuff is everything I need, then I don't need to go to third-party stuff. So that's that's why how I see this is like, I like where they're going with this. As long as they do it well, I like where they're going. They have failed every single time they've tried to do it. 
So fourth edition was meant to have like a virtual tabletop that came out with it. The character builder that came out with it was, you know, it meant to be everything was meant to be integrated and it never went anywhere. It just, you know, it was an empty promise that was never delivered. What we've seen so far for the virtual tabletop for 5e, it could be cool, but it doesn't exist. So I can't really say that it's, you know, going to put things out of business or not, but man, it looks better than Foundry ever did. Um, it looks yeah. better than any virtual tabletop, right? So if they pull that off, I think that's good for the consumer. But you still have to D and and I mentioned uh, briefly where you know if the license if OGL hadn't existed and then they announced this license here, they'd be rest- unrestricting so much stuff that people would be ecstatic over it because it's the other way around is a problem. But if it hadn't existed, would D and D five E be as popular as it is today? And that's a question we can never really answer. But I think most people would say, no, all the third-party content, the third-party you know, community that came up around this, they are what makes D&D so like, popular, um, which is ironic because most of the stuff like Critical Role falls under, not under the OGL, they fall under the um, fan... Uh, the, the different fan license, basically saying, hey, you can use, you know, you can play D&D and record it. That's all cool. Um, but I want D&D to exist. I want it to be good. I want to have all these tools. Um, but now when I look at one D&D, which is still very much in early beta, I don't like a lot of the directions that they're going. Like there are some things I just actively dislike. And I'm not going to state them here because they're not popular to dislike, but there are certain <laughs> things that I just don't like. You know, there's changes that are being made that are just unnecessary um, mechanically and story-wise. And I'm just like, why? What's going on there? Um, but then again, when 5th edition was first being introduced, I had the same feelings about that. They, they were introducing things. And I'm like, this, this is crap. But when 5th edition came out, I'm like, oh. Apparently, a lot of people told them that it was crap because they changed it and it didn't make it to the final version. So that's I'm still holding out, you know, judgment on sixth edition, which it is going to be sixth edition, whether it's you know whatever they call it, it's sixth edition. Um, I'm waiting to see the actual product before I before I make a judgment there. Makes sense. I haven't really kept up with the one D and D stuff. It's it's an open beta test, so you can always grab it, read it, see what's going on. But I know. There's well, there were forty thousand responses to the first one. I'm guessing there are about you know five to eight thousand responses for the ones following. Like that first one got a lot of attention, and I think that drops off pretty quick. Um, I dropped. I'm like, all right, this is a, a year long process. There's plenty of people, you know, really digging into this. Um, I if I don't like something, hopefully I can house rule it in the new Wizard of the Coast virtual tabletop, which. I'm really hoping they build in because um, <laughs> D&D is really all about house rules, which is what 6th edition is. It's just a whole lot of house rules piled on top of D&D 5th edition. Um, fan, con- fan content agreement is what um, I was trying to get to. Thanks, Christopher. All right, I'm going to read your... Um, yes, there is... Basically, Christopher said, if the consumer doesn't like it, you lose business. Oh, well, that's business. If it is a hit with the consumer, then it was a good business decision. But my primary issue now is is how poorly Wizards of the Coast has gone about executing it. Um, have they, though? They definitely misstepped. But they have misstepped. Like It seems like every other month, something drastic where the Twitter community is up in arms about something that, you know, 
somebody from Wizards of the Coast did or said or some content that was published. Like, when you're on top, you have so many eyes on you. And there's no way to do anything without reactions. And I don't know if Wizards of the Coast did misstep on this or if something was leaked and the community responded in an uproar to something that wasn't actually official. It looked official. Yeah. It looked like it was going to become official. I'm not arguing that. But it wasn't. Like, they wasn't never official. announced this as official. So did they misstep? Or did they actually respond to the community and say, okay, we've heard you loud and clear. We're definitely not going to do this. So, you know, Miles mentions, is the fan base overly sensitive to the monetization of their hobby? And I think they are. I think that, you know, Fletcher, if I told you you can't play D&D unless you spend twelve ninety nine a month on a subscription, how would that make you feel? It would make me feel sad. Would you play D&D or would you be like, no, $13 a month is too much. I'm, I'm not going to spend that. Uh, it'd be one of those things where I probably have to turn it like on and off depending on how good um, a campaign is. And it's like, you know, if we're in a city campaign and we're playing regularly, it's like, okay, I'll turn this on. I don't feel happy about it, but fine. Otherwise, you know, I, I, I turn it off and it just seems kind of like unnecessary. Well, and, and that's the thing where when we start talking about the monetization of the hobby, that's where we get into this, right? It's game publishers, you hear this all the time, you know, there it's a money grab. They're just, you know, big corporations doing whatever. Um, it's a business. Someone who's making a game and going through the process of making a game, which is not easy, they need to make money off of that for, for the game to keep living. And when you have players like yourself that have not spent any money on this game, but you enjoy it and you say it is your favorite game, but you've never spent any money on it, the company has to look at those types of players and be like, okay, we're doing something wrong because our most you know avid fans don't have to spend any money on the game. And how do we fix that? Right? Yeah. Well, well, so, I mean, yes, but also, um, if you're releasing a set of rules and someone has purchased those set of rules and, you know, in a traditional like tabletop setting, you, like you can share those set of rules around, like they made that purchase. Not everyone has to purchase, like you don't, you don't purchase a tabletop game, right? That comes with pieces, but it's like, there's only one rule set. It's like, oh, but there's four people playing this game. We need to sell three more rule sets for this <laughs> game. And it's like, no, you have one rule set that four people are playing with. That's just, and it's yes. a PDF. It's a PDF document, right? Like, it, it, yeah. this is not, you know, uh, you know, a piece of software that is getting continuously updated. Now, you, you can create that product, right? You can create the D and D Beyond product that has uh, online software capabilities. And yes, sure, if you want to charge ten dollars a month for this, then then that's fine. But charging everyone for the rules, for the same rules over and over again, like each person can decide, I want, I, you know, I want to purchase the rules or not. Yeah. And you're not wrong. And actually the base version, there is a free version of the rules for just, here's the mechanics. Um, that exists as a free PDF download. And on D&D Beyond, if you're a DM, you can invite people to your campaign. And as long as you're at a certain level, you can share all the content that you have with everyone in that campaign. Right? So those are kind of go towards that same that same thing. Um, and I agree with that, right? You know, we don't all have to own a player's handbook to play this game. 
But as a company, if everyone did own a player's handbook, oh man, what could we do with that money? And it's, you know, yachts and islands and stuff, but um, they would also put, you know, potentially something back in there. But I do disagree with the idea that it's just a PDF because I do think that this game is changing constantly. They are putting out new content all the time um, and they charge for that content. These, you know, DMs are the ones that spend most of the money. They know this for sure. You know, 20% of the user base is spending 80% of the money, um, which is typical in general. Um, Terrence asks, you know, how many free-to-play apps out there and how do they make billions? And, you know, this it's the microtransactions. It's the it's the whales. And the reason why, you know, D&D is free-to-play, but they still make a lot of money is because the DMs are willing to spend the money to make it happen. Um, I think that's basically how they go about this. Um, so I think that I understand why they want to monetize D&D. I don't think that's bad. I just think if they're going to do it, they need to provide a product that the consumers want and are willing to pay for. And they need to not screw over their community. Like, <laughs> I, regardless of, you know, Christopher's still trying to convince me that this was an actual do- real document. Well, it was a real document. It was an official document. It was an actual you know, this document could have gone from draft to, you know, released. I agree with all of that. The document as written could have been like, okay, and now we're publishing it to the world. Like that, all of that is true, but the fact still stands. It was never actually published to the world. So by definition, it was a draft. It's a draft until it's released. Um, you know, if you use the WordPress thing, you know, it's, it's in draft. I haven't published it yet. Um, so everything you're saying, Christopher, is right. It was, a, it is a real document. It 100%, everything about it could have been released, but it was never released. And that's the real key to this. It was never released. When 1.1 is released, then we'll get to have this conversation again where it's like, eh, is it good? Is it bad? Um, so, yeah. And, you know, Chris mentions the point is timing. And again, I agree. Like, all kinds of bad things around this document and when it was leaked and... I'm glad it was leaked, right? Because it was never going to be given to the community for feedback. Like, that was never the intent. I, I That I believe for sure. Um, but because it was leaked and because the community suddenly had a say in this that they didn't have before, it prevented it from becoming a published real document. Um, because at that point, it becomes, you know... Honestly, I've seen companies do this over and over. Well, they'll do something that annoys a whole bunch of people, and then they'll just ignore it until the smoke clears, and then it's in place. And that's a pretty common business tactic when you need to make changes and stuff. It's like, okay, this is going to upset some people, but we got to do it. So we're going to do it, and eventually people will get over it. Um, And that is the case. Even this. If if this had gone out, people would have got over it. Um, Not everybody, because it screws over a lot of people, but they... I don't know. It would have been interesting. Uh, we're going really long. I do want to mention the <laughs> Pathfinder license, though. Oh, yeah. So Pathfinder is like, okay, we're going to release an open license, and it's in perpetuity, and it can use our game system. And my response to that is, good luck. <laughs> Pathfinder is all but dead, thanks to 5e, um, based on every analytics you can find. Uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition is just... It's... Uh, it, it's can still keep Paizo in business apparently because they they keep making stuff for it. But I've not I've never met anyone who plays it. I know a lot of people who play first edition. I've never met anyone who plays second edition. Um, not as their main game. 
And I've read the rules. I hate everything about the system. They could make the whole <laughs> game free. I would not play it. They could make it free and send a DM to my door, and I would not play it. Like, it is utter garbage. I don't care, like, what license they give to it. It's a bad system. Um, this is my opinion. If you love Second Edition Pathfinder, um, Don says he does. He says he plays PF2 and equal amounts of 5e. Um, that's great. Or Kitty. Does she pay? Um, play Kitty doesn't. She would not play Pathfinder 2. She'd play Pathfinder 1, but huh. not 2. Um, like, I said, it's it's not a terrible game. But when you look at it, when I'm looking at the two systems, and I'm like, Pathfinder 2 or D&D 5, I'm like, D&D 5 is just so much more streamlined, easy to get into, easy to run. Like, everything about it is just easier to play. And Pathfinder 2 just requires so much more investment. Pathfinder 1 requires 10 times more investment on top of that. But um, I just don't think... And then I saw someone who's like, oh, you know, here's an open RPG where anyone can use it for free. There are literally infinite numbers of those that already exist out in the world. Like, you're not going to replace D&D just because they wanted to change their license agreement. D&D is not going away. It's not, it's not the biggest because it's the best game out there. It isn't. There are other games that are better than it for doing certain things. It's the biggest because it has the biggest community. It has the biggest name. And it's just the easiest to get into. It's a gateway role playing game. Good lore around it created already. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things that make D anD D what D anD D is. That Wizard of the Coast has some control over it, but some of it they just don't. And what they were doing with the one point one as it was written, they could have killed the game had they done that. Because if they killed their community, it would have killed the game. As long as they don't end up actually officially killing the community, though, I, I think D anD D will continue to exist um, because it, it is the easy one. It's the easy one to get into. And, you know, if you start with D&D, you go to something else, that's great. But you're not going to start with Pathfinder. Like, I just <laughs> I just don't see that being where you start. I just don't. But, yeah, Don's mentions the simplicity of 5e was a huge boon to the system and the ability to get people into the game. Um, and he's like, true, don't start with Pathfinder 2. You know, and, and that's the thing is give them a break. Most of the people that work at Wishes of the Coast, they work there because they love this game. And when they see the fans in an uproar regarding the game that they have literally spent decades of their lives on, like they are not feeling good about this. Chris Perkins is not the one pushing this license agreement, right? These are business decisions that are being made above the heads of the people who are actually making content. And the community needs to stand up to that and say, no, this is not what we want. But you also can't be like, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater when you say, you know, D&D is dead to me because they tried to make money off of it. Like, that's just, it's not fair to the people who are actually making the game. And they're just a different group of people than the people who are, you know, the business side of it. So maybe that's why i'm being more or less defensive of it because i've met a lot of these people and they're really good people and they really love what they do and i really love this game and i don't think a a misstep at the business level deserves me not playing D anymore because of whatever crap now if 60 comes out and it's a it's a trash game fine i won't play that but right now it's 5e and I'm going to support the actual writers and developers and designers of the game, and I will let the community just 
<laughs> tear apart the the new CEO. I'm I'm gonna be I'll be surprised how long she lasts after this. We'll see. <laughs> I predict now there will be there may be some shakeups at the higher level depending on how this how this plays out. Um, that'll be more drama we can cover later. I'm All feeling right, that she'll be fine. There's no, she'll be fine. That's for sure. Um, all right. Any other any other thoughts, ideas on this? Nope. Does this make more sense than it did an hour and a half ago? Yes, it did. It also helped that I read everything too. But <laughs> yeah. So, in summary, the drama of D and D is corporate overlords want to make more money off of it. Everybody else says no. Leave our game alone. Um, and I think that's great. I think I, I think a community that loves a game so much that they feel it is theirs enough to feel i'm going to use the word they feel entitled to say (laughs) no don't mess with my game or the people who make stuff for it um i think that by itself just speaks volumes to why D &D is what it is and uh, i i just you know i hope it blows over i hope that sixth edition is awesome regardless of what it is and how it gets there uh i have faith in the meantime, I'm joining the boycott and I'm not playing any more D&D campaigns because I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get us out of here. Um, a reminder, TGTCon, sign up by the 31st and register for a game and you will be entered in our pre-drawing. Um, and thanks to John, um, I will be drawing the winner before TGTCon, but you won't receive your $100 gift card until after you've played in the game that you've registered. So <laughs> You can blame John. This is, this is the fine point. You can blame John for that. <laughs> uh, Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recordings on Monday nights, 8.30 Central. Links in the show notes. Join our Discord. Links in the show notes. Uh, Want to play games with us? BGA. Links in the show notes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hosting fees and giveaways are, sp- are sponsored by our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Timothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keith, Leanne Verhol, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yankowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yassi, Tolkien Fan Forever, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan C., Darren McClellan, David Garner, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gilstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Salandra, Adrian Dong, Eric Huffman, Jason Ronnie, Justin Willard, Jerry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Christy Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. And thanks to anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support does really mean the world to us, past, present, and future. Um, I don't think I need to report this to Wizards of the Coast. Probably not. Until <laughs> <laughs> next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, Fletcher, there is one exception to... My not going to play D&D because I'm too busy is if you run a game for me. If you DM the game, I'll play it. If I DM the game, you'll play it? Okay. Yeah. Just do a one-shot. Do a one-shot. Do a, do a four-hour one-shot game. I will travel to anywhere you want and we'll play D&D. But you run All right. it. I will, deal? Uh, I will think about it. Yeah, deal. All right. And I'll volunteer Kitty to also travel to anywhere you want. 